0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast where we talk about literally everything Kubernetes related from clouds on prem to Kubernetes for infrastructure engineers and developers and literally everything in between. My name is Michael Levan and I'm joined today with Jason Haley, who is an Microsoft Azure MVP and independent consultant. Jason, what's up, man? How are you?
1: Great, man. It's Friday. It's beautiful weather. Can't complain.
0: There you go. Yeah, I know. I I always see pictures of uh, you and your dog on Twitter, and it makes me happy because, and it makes me want to take my dog out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I gotta wear him out there early in the or early in the day so that he's uh, snoozing most of the day for me. Know, there
0: you go. Yeah, I have a, a lazy bulldog, so regardless of what I do, she's she's typically sleeping. <laughs> so awesome, awesome man. Cool. So we're going to talk about serverless Kubernetes and, uh, you know, uh, funny enough, and and it was a pretty cool experience. Uh, You and I both were chatting on the Microsoft build panel around uh, Azure container apps, and I like to call this server serverless Kubernetes. I think you do as well. I don't know if everybody else does, but I feel like that just pretty much fits the bill, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, there does seem to be two camps when people say serverless Kubernetes. I mean, even if you look at the KubeCon sessions on serverless, most of those are really what I call function as a service, you know? So mm-hmm. it it does take away the, you know, serverless being worried about the server less, you know, that, that whole idea kind of does that for you. But if you're running a cluster and you're running functions as a service, you're still paying for all of those servers. And and for me, I like the serverless. To me, more or less, mean nodeless, where I don't really need to worry about the machine, and that's that's what I like about you know the container apps. The direction they're going is where you, you can actually do both. You can do the functions as a service, uh, functions as a service with kata and other tooling, but um, they're really fo- focusing on that. You know, you can pretty much not worry about the server so much and you know granted kubernetes is split into two you know you've got your orchestration apis that most of the time that's what you're focusing on that's what runs your application you know that's when you're spinning up a deployment you're you're spinning up services that sort of thing but there is the scheduler and the scheduler does need to know about some resources to have your code execute so there's definitely that challenge kubernetes does still need a node for or some flavor of a node um, for it to be happy on the scheduler side of things
0: yep absolutely and i think you bring up a good point there around the fact that like there's two camps in in the kubernetes space right Uh, and when i when i think about that i think about operations and development uh you know i feel like we we've kind of seen this this timeline almost right so like kubernetes comes out It promises to make our lives easier from a development perspective, and it absolutely has. I mean, if you think about like what we were doing on virtual machines with applications when we had to set up high availability, scaling, load balancers, all of the networking that came with it, uh, you know, everything from like I need to scale from this data center to that data center. Kubernetes kind of like manages that for us. I mean, there's still obviously a ton of stuff that we have to do when it comes to like service mesh and ingress and making sure that pods are running on, you know, X amount of worker nodes. So they're highly available, et cetera. But Kubernetes has certainly abstracted a lot of stuff for us than what we were used to. And then the next bit of it is, yeah, it abstracted a bunch, but guess what? <laughs> we still have to manage control planes. We still have to manage worker nodes. Uh, there's still a bunch of management that goes on there. And then that's where the whole like Kubernetes service comes into play, where we're talking about Azure Kubernetes service. We're talking about uh, Google Kubernetes engine. We're talking about Elastic Kubernetes service and AWS, right? And then now like this whole Azure container apps, serverless Kubernetes, uh, you know, you got AWS Fargate profiles, you have uh, GKE Autopilot. Like this seems like the next iteration, right? Totally.
1: I mean, it, it's it's kind of even stepping up a level in abstraction because, I mean, it, so my introduction to serverless uh, related, to Kubernetes, to, related to Kubernetes was the uh, virtual node, um, which is, it's a node that the Azure Kubernetes service sees, but behind the scenes is just this endless... Supply of resources, which is ACI or Azure Container Instances, that allows it to spin up containers and run them. If uh, the scheduler decides to put uh, a, something running on that node, it, you know it's not a real node; it's just a bunch of pl- bunch of resources that can run your container for you. And that's that was my first um, exposure to this idea of serverless or nodeless Kubernetes. And the promise behind that was really, really good because at that point in time, I was working with a client and we had a lot of jobs. And and the jobs were running on our, our cluster, but they were really thrashing the nodes because they did a lot of disk I.O. They, you know, they were spinning up. Some of them were even spinning up like every minute or two. So they were really thrashing the nodes. And we saw that, hey, this virtual node would be a fantastic place for us to run these jobs and you know the promise was really there we we tried it out we did a few uh, pocs on it but then when we got production jobs running the reality didn't quite meet what we wanted um uh, some of it really came down to the fact that we were doing asp net containers Those containers are a little bit bigger than the the demo code or especially like the Go containers. A lot of those containers out there aren't that large, but the the reality of ACI not caching your container whenever you would have that job spin up, do its work, and then again, five minutes later, it would spin up again, do its work. It didn't have a cached image. So it had to pull that image across the wire each time, even if the container registry was in the same data center. That speed or that lack of speed of bringing up that container, I mean, it would take sometimes a couple minutes before the job would be up and running. And if the container was supposed to be running every five minutes, two minutes to spin up was just completely not acceptable. So the reality of when we were starting to look at this this idea of a virtual node and not having to... that worry about maintaining as many nodes for this workload that was constantly coming up, going down, coming up, going down, um, just didn't work for us. I mean, we really did want our cluster to just be more stable, more predictable services, which were pretty much even keel. We had APIs running. So, you know, they would come up and go down. Sometimes traffic would come in and spike. So we'd get some more pods running here and there, and then they would go in, you know, the horizontal, pod scaling worked out great. But with this, the, these jobs, you know, it, it was just not ideal. And, and ACI or the virtual cubelet just didn't pan out for us, unfortunately.
0: Right? Yeah, I, I think that I kind of had a uh, similar introduction to this a few years ago. Uh, I think I did a talk on it as well with like the, you know, like the Azure festive uh, tech calendar, I think, uh, forget who runs it. I think it's uh, Richard and and Gregor over there, uh, Microsoft Azure MVPs. But I did a talk for for that one. And it was on ACI bursting. And I think ACI bursting is like kind of what what you're talking about, right? With like the virtual Kubelet thing. Um, Yeah. And, And I thought that was super interesting because, you know, the reality is, is that if somebody's using Azure Kubernetes service, they don't want to have to think about like managing resources, right? So like, you know, let's say you have a let's say you have a bunch of pods and you run out of memory or you know, you don't have auto scaling on. So if you run out of CPU, something goes down and you know you don't have rate limits, etc. Which I know that there's some people that like rate limits and some people certainly don't. Um you know, something like ACI bursting, uh, you know, the virtual cubelet, that's that's definitely helpful there. Uh but again, you know, like you said, it, because of the speed, it wasn't exactly an ideal solution for production. Uh, you know, if, if it takes a couple of minutes for an application to come up and and you're deploying applications every few minutes, whether that's in dev and staging and you're pl- deploying, you know, one, five, 10 times a day to prod, whatever, however your workflow works, that's obviously not acceptable. Um, and that's, you know, again, I think we're like something like Azure container apps can, can come into play there now. I, I oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, as you were saying that, it, it dawned, it just dawned on me that, you know, we could, we could turn on the auto scaling of the AKS cluster, and pretty much, when the resources were needed, it would bring up another node within around five minutes. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it would take uh, ACI to do this bursting, that you know, all the marketing uh, was pointing towards, oh, it'll spin it up in seconds. Well, not, not ASP.NET containers, it wouldn't. So, <laughs> you know, if bringing up a whole nother node in the cluster is only gonna take three minutes more um, for one single container to come up in ACI, you know, something's wrong there, but
0: yeah. Right, yeah. And you know, something that just popped in my, to, to my head too is the security aspect of things. Uh, you know, when, when you're thinking about, let's say like pods that are uh, segregated into like their own namespaces Yeah, that's not a good way of segregation from a security standpoint, because if there's a vulnerability with uh, one of the pods, right, east-west traffic is not encrypted unless you're using a service mesh. So going into namespaces, there could be like a huge security vulnerability there. But I wonder with something like Azure Container Apps, and maybe we'll have to reach out to our friends over there on that team. But... I wonder if, you know, w- once there's communication between organizations, because I think that they were saying, you know, like an organization is like a namespace and there's no communication between them yet. But I wonder once there is, if uh, organizations, literal organizations, not uh, Azure Container App organizations, that's weird that that it was named that. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I wonder if there will be better security between the applications that are running inside of Azure Container Apps.
1: Yeah, so... The way I've been thinking about Azure Container Apps, because you know it was only it was only introduced like late last year, and it just blows my mind that they've already GA'd. <laughs> to me, when I saw it uh, be introduced, it brought to mind whenever Azure Websites was released, and that's what the current App Services Web Apps is now. They've did the rebranding, um, but. And container apps was originally called worker apps, if I recall correctly. Um, I don't know if that was ever made public, so I should probably not mention that. But um, it was geared toward, you know, let's do that 80-20 thing. So what is, you know, 80% of the need for people running uh, uh, workers are like uh, microservices, not necessarily hosting web apps because they already have a solution for that. But what sort of environment would solve 80% of the problem for uh, people running microservices? And that, to me, is what it really looked like they were trying to hit. That sweet spot of getting um, a lot of people who are trying to do microservices, but. Don't really want to have that heavy lift of running a Kubernetes cluster because I mean, right now, finding people who are who have the skill set to run a Kubernetes cluster, whether it's managed or not, um, is kind of hard to find. And sometimes you can't uh, get existing uh, resources, human resources, to be convinced that hey, you know what? I know you're a developer, but I need you to learn Kubernetes because that's where we're going to run the stuff. You know, that's that's kind of a hard. sell as well. So this idea that they're abstracting a way that it's running on Kubernetes. I mean, it's kind of funny that they've said, "Oh, container apps is running on Kubernetes. It uses Envoy, Um, but you don't have any control over those. You you can include or you can decide to use Kata or Dapper, which are really useful and open up a whole bunch of options for you. But the fact that it runs on Kubernetes is Kind of just a piece of metadata about it. it. You know, you you don't have to know that it's running on Kubernetes because you don't um, you don't need to worry about it. I mean, that whole level that they've abstracted and and you know, in the last five years since I've started to get involved with Kubernetes. I've seen so many presentations where people are really trying to go after that. We wanna, we wanna abstract away that the fact that it's running on Kubernetes and let you focus on your application. I mean, I've heard so many people say that over the last five years, and I, it really seems to be that that's what they're going with with container apps. They've realized with web apps, you know, they've, they've really hit the sweet spot for running a web app or a website. But they've always had that API app. But if you don't need a public API for your application, you kind of need a private API, well, then you kind of have to jump through hoops right now. You have to do a web app, but then you need to stick it in a VNet and put a private endpoint on it and private links and all of these so that that web app is hidden from the public and inside of your VNet. So in order to use an app service web app, for a front-end and back-end services, it gets complicated. But now with container apps, um, you can put all of those just running in container apps. And, you know, like I said, they've they've abstracted away the Kubernetes pieces. Like if you're doing Kubernetes and you want to put a web app or a website in there and some back-end services, you need to say, oh, well, I got to do an ingress. I need to do a service. I could do some deployments. And maybe I need to create a Helm chart so that the ops people can easily install it for me. And with container apps, it's it's less metadata. You don't need to say, "Oh, I need an ingress, I need a service, I need deployment, run this Helm chart." It's like, okay, well, here's the the bicep or metadata I need. I need it to be external. I need it to be able to hit it externally. Um, and I need to use this container. And here's some other. Uh, minimal configuration information and uh, deploy it and it, it spins up and and if you have microservices on the back end, you don't want them to be external you indicate that in the metadata and it brings it up in container apps and now you know you're you're all of a sudden dealing with less pieces of configuration because i mean you're still doing configuration um, management like you would with uh, kubernetes where it's all the configuration file. You're not doing the imperative stuff where you're running a script to deploy this and deploy that. It's just, you know, this is a configuration I want up and running. Um, please put it in there for me. But there's less pieces with container apps, which is really promising for me.
0: Yeah, so you, you bring up a good point and I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts. So I, I, since like the inception of Kubernetes, the idea behind it is, you know, we're going to take away infrastructure for you. We're going to take away the ops stuff for you. And we're going to give, you know, developers the ability to, you know, get code up and running fast, not having to worry about VMs, etc. I would like to play devil's advocate for a second and say that there's still so many ops pieces in Kubernetes that are so ridiculously important. Like, the networking alone in kubernetes uh, you know understanding pod to pod communication understanding that pods are ephemeral so that communication isn't good. So you should have service communication, but that traffic isn't encrypted. So then you have to think about a service mesh and then you have to think about, you know, things like, okay, am I going to have a public facing application? Is there going to be a cloud load balancer? Am I going to have multiple cloud load balancers? Am I going to have an ingress controller? What ingress controller am I going to use? You get where I'm going. There's, there's so many pieces from an ops perspective. So I guess my question to you is, and and of course, you know, we, we don't know the answer, right? But, Do you think that these services can actually abstract that from us? Because we kind of like had the same problem, the same promise with serverless. And although serverless kind of got us there, again, there's still like ops pieces of serverless, like thinking about how the serverless app is going to scale. Is it going to sit behind a load balancer? What ports are going to be available? All that stuff, right? Like there's still like rules and groups and ops stuff that even goes into the serverless bits. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Like, do you think that we're ever gonna get to a point where things are gonna be so abstracted that a developer can just like randomly pop their code in and it magically runs the way that it's expecting? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, um, so that's where I, so that's where I kind of buy into the vision. Um and and a lot of me buying into the vision of container apps really is uh I guess following where web websites was originally uh released back when um when Microsoft released it and to where web apps is today. That whole Roadmap that they went from the beginning point to where they are today with web apps. I mean, the fact that you can run um, a website now in Linux or in a container, all of these different frameworks that Web Apps now has uh, the ability to do free SSL, the ability to do all of these things that you need specifically for web apps is available on Web Apps because they've they've just been adding functionality after functionality over the years and, and fine tuning it. So I think they'll get there. Uh, obviously we know it's not there yet. There's there's still some gaping holes that uh, container apps has that, you know, companies, certain companies won't even look at it for specific scenarios for right now. Like for instance, with with web apps, you have the ability to run an ACE or what does A ACE stand for? Um, I forget what A stands for, honestly, but it's it's more or less where you have your app service cluster all within your own VNet and you're running the machine. So you're, you're running like like three machines, if I recall. So it's it's a costly level of service that you're purchasing to be able to run all of this stuff in a secure environment that can be um available for highly regulated industries like, uh, you know, finance and healthcare. There's a lot of industries that won't look at container apps yet because it's still in a shared environment and, you know, you can't do certain things. And um, I think they'll get there. I think what they're solving for is the common problems. And then they're adding to the roadmap scenarios that will then be, you know, kind of, you know those those diagrams where it's like okay well this is a very popular ask let's do this one let's prioritize this one first like SSL certs, um, custom domains you know that stuff wasn't there when they originally did the release but now they've got that stuff added so you know I believe they'll get there I, I mean Microsoft knows what people need to run microservices it's just getting the priorities of the things that you're going to need for your scenario on the road map early in the the life cycle of the the container apps product. That's going to be the question is whether or not you're going to be interested in it sooner rather than later.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that there could even be some type of standard that's built on top of it, you know, like the open container initiative, right? Like there's a certain standard in place that when you build a container image, it should be able to run anywhere. Now, I got to I got to Google it really quick. That's why you hear me clicking and clacking, but there is something, I forget what the name Maybe, maybe it is open fast. Uh, let me, yeah, it is. Okay. So I know that you, you brought up FaZ a function as a service, and then there's openfaz.com, which is like serverless, literally <laughs> funny enough serverless Kubernetes, right? But it's like Kubernetes running inside of serverless functions. Uh. Yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, I got, I got to send you this link after the, after the podcast, but there is this idea as well of like serverless Kubernetes functions. And I wonder if there's a, there's, there's some type of uh you know, process that's going to come in here or some type of standard, right? Because like, you know, we see AWS doing this, we see Google doing this, you know, we see Azure doing this. There's a few different other tools that are doing this. So I am curious on like where, like where the standard will be, because at some point there's got to be a standard, right? Like somebody's going to say, okay, we got to maybe put this into CNCF as some type of standard or something like that.
1: You know, I agree with you because I mean, face it, there is such a thing called multi-cloud these days. A lot of people do want their applications, if not purely running on multiple clouds while live, the ability to move from one cloud to the other. And if you have something like container apps and it's all individual things you pick from a menu, but it's only available in Azure and not easy to pull it out and run it in another cloud, then, it gets complicated. Um, I mean, granted, it's just running containers and orchestrating containers, but if you don't pretty much give them the ability to eject their application from your cloud, a lot of people are not going to buy into it these days. They, they want that level above your cloud to be able to run your stuff in that one or another one.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and even the other side of it is hybrid cloud is a real thing for, uh-huh. for, for extremely large organizations that have been running like data centers for years with startups and stuff like that, uh, you know, mid-sized organizations, it's going to be much easier for them to not care about servers, but for companies, you know, that are pretty big, there's always, there's, there's going to be data centers for a long time. So with things like, you know, uh, Google Anthos, Azure stack, HCI, uh, AWS outposts, right. They're making it a reality that you can run your cloud native workloads with Kubernetes, for example, on-prem. Yeah. And I think that's, we're going to see something around that with like serverless Kubernetes as well. Um, you know, p- sounds silly, right? But hear me out. If, if somebody wants to build like with open fast, or if somebody wants to build with Azure container apps, But and they want that cloud native feel, but they still need to run it somewhere for compliance or security concerns or simply because this is what leadership is saying. They're going to want the ability to run this somewhere, you know, whether it's kind of sort of serverless, but not really because it's running on a server or whether it's. Kind of, sort of serverless in the cloud, but it's not really serverless because it's still running on on some server, right? It's there. People are going to want to run it somewhere. So there's, so you're absolutely right. There's the multi-cloud discussion around this, and then there's also the hybrid cloud discussion.
1: Yeah, very true. Yeah, I, so I I don't really deal with the hybrid cloud, so I always forget about that one, and that's <laughs> definitely a whole other complexity because you have a completely different release lifecycle for products that go onto those. Right. And, and parody is sometimes, uh, not as good as you want.
0: Exactly. <laughs> For sure. So <laughs> r- wrapping up here, Jason, uh, I'd love to give you an opportunity to plug anything that you'd like, any products, uh, any of your services, uh, if you want people to reach out to you via social media.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so social media, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter, uh, the, uh, Haley, Jason, H A L E Y J S O N is my handle on Twitter. And, you know, feel free to reach out to me. My email is pretty easy to remember, jason at jasonhaley.com. Uh, you can reach out to me there. Um, again, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just starting to dig into container apps and, uh, you know, the promise behind it. And really at this point in time, I'm trying to figure out do I dig more into Um, Kubernetes and the whole administration of clusters or do I really put full bore onto the level up, um, you know, container apps side of things and and serverless. So working on figuring that out myself at the moment.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like we're going to kind of be in a, uh, uh, the answer is D all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.